This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And the ball! Every story. We have the blessing and the benefit of having, in my opinion, the best fan base in the country, and it shows. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Hey, we read the comments. We're not gone. We're back. Back from vacation. Back with Scoop Duck. I love it. I'm excited. Back to work today. Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins. J-Hop, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Are you, it sounds like you're good. You're re- refreshed, recharged. Kind of get your batteries back up and running again. I joke all the time. I, I have a distance relationship. And being five hours apart sucks. I would never recommend it to anybody. Right. But there's just something about you spend two weeks with the love of your life. You got a little pep in your step. I feel like a million bucks right now. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. You know, you're smiling. You got color in your face. I can tell. I can yeah. see it. But no, it's you got to do that. I mean, I've, that's something that I've talked about, you know, on the boards even is, is having that balance in your life. We all have to work. Well, for the most part, we all have to work. You know, we all have to pay bills. We have to watch our kids. You know, but there's still got to be a balance. You've got to have some fun. You've got to. You've got to have some you time. You've got to, you know, take a break. You've got to get away from it all and try and, I guess, unplug, if you will. I mean, I I went to Lake Shasta on uh, on Monday, mm. and I was only able to go for the day. Uh, you know, there was no football practice, so I'm like, yeah, we can make a break. And my friend had just bought a houseboat down there a couple months ago, and he was down there for a couple of days. Like, come down, you know. So, uh, you know, Kim and I, all five kids, woke him up at 8:30, get in the van, you know, and then we rallied the van down to Redding and, and spent the day down there. And I knew going into it, we got there, you know, a little before noon. I knew, okay, when I get on the lake, I don't have cell service the rest of the day, which is always weird for me. And uh, I loved it. I love it. I mean, I freaking love it. I did get some, some of my messages came through in there, but I left my phone on the houseboat and we were out, you know, surfing and, and tubing and, you know, paddle boating and just, oh man, we didn't leave till like nine o'clock and it was, so it was a long day, but it was worth, you know, it was worth it. It was hundred percent worth it. That's an image that just cracks me up thinking about it. Cause for those who don't know. Like, we don't do a video feed of this. Every single freaking week, every time we record this pod, Justin's phone blows up. Oh, yeah. Like, every five minutes, your phone yeah. blows up. And I'm wondering, like, okay, all right, who is it now? <laughs> what do we got? Yeah. Right. The the coach, the GM, the yeah. president, like, right. who's calling? Yeah, I usually forget, and then I, I put it into uh, silent mode. That way it doesn't sit here and vibrate during the whole podcast, usually. I usually remember after a few, so... Uh, but, you know, recruiting's you know, kind of on the back burner now for, you know, through fall camp because right. because of recruits doing their own fall camp because of Oregon doing their fall camp. So that takes a little bit of the what I would call the immediate pressure away. That's kind of like that, you know, breaking got to get their news, whereas football is just kind of football. Like, right. OK, you know, they're going to practice. We're going to talk about it and then we'll do it again the next day. <laughs> and you laid this out on the site. The Ducks have really gotten ahead on that front. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think. uh you know, I think with the way recruiting has has gone uh, today in today's world, um, the more you can do in your spring and your summer months will really help those coaches be able to dial it back in in August and September and in fall uh, for them to shift their focus to the football team. I think that gets overlooked a lot of times. I, I think you can do your best to try and do both really well. But let's face it, you can't spend as much time recruiting in the fall 
as you can in the spring, uh, you know, outside of the uh, of the month of spring ball that you have. So, you know, I think when you're Mario Cristobal and you're sitting there and, hey, I got 19 commits right now. My focus right now is to hold on to those 19 commits first and foremost and then round out that final five, six, seven spots, whatever he kind of comes up with. It's a lot easier to find five, six, seven guys than it is to come up with 20 guys. Right. So, you know, you've cut your work down significantly. doesn't mean you could stop, but you can definitely. And I think I think that really, really helps instead of. You know, you look at like UCLA and USC, they got a lot of work left to do. I mean, it doesn't mean they can't do it. But right now, if you look at their classes compared to where Oregon's at and even where Washington's at, you got a lot of work left to do and you still got to coach some football. Are you surprised that uh, UCLA is still on the hook waiting for Yankoff? Uh, I, I'm not. You know, it, it's really tough to transfer uh, interconference. I, I understand that. Um, I think it's crappy. I mean, at the end of the day, and not just in Yankoff's case. I mean, let's you know, let's look at that. I mean, you know, you have Coach Pete. What I don't like about this is, you know, Coach Pete has contradicted himself several times, which is dangerous to do. You know, which is you know, the media is going to tear you apart, and I doubt he cares. But um, you know, if you're going to sit here and say, I, I'm, you know, I'm always putting the players first, players first. Well, that's not right. putting him first. That's not putting Yankoff first. I mean, you don't. They don't even play each other for a couple of years. So really, what's the harm? Um, I get it. You know, Yankoff knew when he transferred what the rules were. Technically, the rules were if you did go into UCLA, you'd probably, you know, face this type of reaction. And so they took their chance anyway. So I get it on both sides. You know, I just I continue to dislike how the NCAA is all over the board. You know, it's okay for this. It's not, you know, Tate Martell should have never got his waiver to play. Right. I really don't know that Justin Fields should have, but he did. You know, I mean, there's just a number of them like, really? You know, and then this one, I mean, you could have granted it, and I don't think anybody would have been up in arms about it. I think it, it I, whatever, I, you know. I just think it sucks for Colson Yankoff. That's all. I mean, put the kid first. You know, don't worry about Pete. Don't worry about, you know, facing him. Put the kid first. You know what? He, he's trying to play ball. He's trying to get his education. You know, just let him rock and roll. Yeah. You know. No, it sucks for Yankoff, and, and just f- from my standpoint, you have Duck fans, you have Husky fans. I think that uh, that game in Seattle is going to be pretty crazy this year. Oh, and and yeah. get all that frustration out and oh, man. all the Duck fans right now that are pointing at Chris Peterson and going, hey, this guy's pretty skeezy. And all the Husky fans that are trying to, you know, throw crap on Mario. Right. Let's just, let's just shut up and just see what happens in Seattle in a couple months. Yeah, there is going to be no shortage of shit talking for the next, you know, six, eight weeks, whatever it is. It's <laughs> what is it? It's about eight weeks, isn't it? Yeah. My God. It, I mean, it's already started. It started on my Twitter feed a couple weeks ago, and you know, it's just it, I I think given what happened last year with Oregon winning in overtime in such a supreme fashion. You know that, and then they've had some really, you know, good recruiting battles between the two schools so far. Uh, that that rivalry, much to my surprise, seems to have taken it up another notch. It seems it's going to be pretty fun this year. Yeah, we got a pretty fun pod today. I, I said right off the top, I'm excited, and I was going to joke that we got Mario another week. Uh, that it's <laughs> yeah. a lie. No, yeah. not at this week. He's but a, He's uh, at practice right now. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. not going to call us in the middle of drilling? I, I hope not, yeah. Because he's riding the seven-man sled or <laughs> he, something? He might get taken out, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason Brown, Last Chance U. We're going to get a chance to talk with the coach from last season's Last Chance U. And then also a little bit later, uh, Hitler Day. Hitler Day, yeah. So we got a Double Trouble uh, podcast today with guests. Really excited to talk to Coach Brown. Um, 
you know, reason for bringing him on just so we can lay it out there. You know, obviously there's a lot of talk about him from the show. I know a lot of folks on, on scoop duck, you know, watched, uh, last chance you last two seasons that he was a part of it. Um, but I think uh, what can be really great is he can sh- really kind of showcase uh, the the recruiting that goes in from the from junior college. Totally. Uh, you know, I've preached this on Scoop Duck. You know, a lot of folks follow recruiting and love it and love it and love it and and have a tough tough time with some of these kids when they back out of commitments or make these other changes. And I, and I've tried to you know educate people. Man, you probably don't understand what a lot of these kids have been through already in their lives. They don't grow up in the neighborhood, you know, on the dead end street with the bicycles. And, you know, I mean, they have some very troubling areas that some of these young men come from and a lot of, you know, checkered histories, if you will. Right. And, and I think Coach Brown's going to be able to shed a lot more light on that than, I, than I've been able to do in the past couple of years. But I, I think it's important to remind us, you know, that there's a lot of young men that, that have their outlet in football and you just, you know, you grow up rooting for them. You want them to succeed. And now in a very public social world where there's, you know, Twitter and Instagram and everything that's instant. I mean, I know if I was a 17 year old and I had all that at my disposal, I would have looked like an idiot. You know, I would have had some stuff posted on their videos or photos of me doing stupid shit that we all did growing up. Right. Luckily, I didn't have that, you know, because we didn't really have that back in the day. So I only, you know, I do have some empathy for the for the young men and, and women going through that today just because it's a totally different time. And as a parent, it's a different time. You know, I talk to other parents like, you know, man, our parents didn't have to deal with kids having cell phones and Google on their phones and could look up and see anything they wanted at any moment of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't we didn't have that. So it's like, OK, how do you you know, how do you come? There's just so many things. But anyways, back to Coach Brown, who I'm excited to have on. want to hear about his book coming out, want to hear about his time on the show and just and just gain a little bit of insight from him on on, on coaching at the Juco level and, and just some of the other things that go on there. Yeah. All right. So, uh. I, I, I think we told him around this time of the day. We did. You want to set that up now and yep. we'll get Jason Brown? Let's get him on the horn. All right. Jason Brown, last chance you right here. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. All right. Jason Brown, last chance you. Coach, uh, Justin and I are really excited to talk to you today. We were thinking about just all the angles we could go over here. And the first one that stood out to me was – your background and your history as a coach in where you are. What I mean by that is um, we, we cover duck football here in Oregon. A lot of duck fans watching Power 5 football games and big-time nationally televised games. And you're out there in Kansas, Juco ball. Aside from the Netflix cameras, I think that's a different world. Walk me through just the, the day-to-day of a, a small college football coach. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's the most rewarding level of coaching, period. Um, you know, I, I know damn near that whole staff at Oregon. A lot of longtime friends on that staff. Um, a lot of California connections there on that staff. So um, they, they'll tell you, Dante will tell you that, you know, JUCO is the most rewarding level of football, period. Like the, the, the reward outweighs the risk, I believe. Um, but there's a lot more risk involved, too, at the same time. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a results oriented business, man. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's either we graduate the kid or we don't, we either, uh, get the kid a scholarship or we don't. Um, and we either teach the kid how to be a, uh, grow from being a boy and turn him into a man or we don't. And he goes out and robs McDonald's or goes to jail or 
flunks out or what have you. And that's junior college in a nutshell. And we get three types of kids. We get the non-qualifying high school kids. We get the Division One transfer for whatever reason, whether he's broken good, damaged goods, or or or, or got kicked out for smoking weed, or 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 flunked out academically. Um, and then we get the third type of kid, which is a good kid at the Division One who just wants to play and doesn't feel he's being used the right way. And then we'll get him, and then we'll try to get him back re-recruited to a full year. So we those are the three kids we get, and you know for the most part, ninety nine percent of them are broken, and I have to fix them. So, Coach, uh, you know, walk me through a little bit. Uh, you know, most of the listeners that we're going to have on our, our podcast are going to be pretty familiar with, uh, you know, Division One FBS recruiting. So they'll understand official visits, unofficial visits, and those differences. But for you as a junior college coach, how does it, uh, how does recruiting differ for, for you versus like Dante Williams and Mario Cristobal and the other coaches that you know at, at bigger programs? How is it a little different for me? Are you, are you in a spot where you're maybe forced to take a little bit more chances uh, you know, on guys on the bounce backs or, you know, what kind of goes into it for you personally? Man, to be honest, um, you know, <laughs> it's crazy how I say this, but we're, we have more talent or as much talent as anyone in America, division one, FBS or otherwise. We had 28 power five transfers last year, but as so you guys know, those guys were all coming from Alabama, Oregon, UCLA, those type of places. They could have went there, but they didn't qualify. Or, we got the Power 5 transfer, and just so you know, 8 of 28 made it for me. That means they got through Coach Brown's boot camp and, and uh, football jail, I call it, and they got out of it. Only 8 of them made it because uh, they, usually, they usually leave those four-year schools for a reason. I don't really take more risk. I think that the kids I take need me. And um, – as coaches, we don't need the players. They need us. They need us to vouch for their character, teach them how to turn right at the stop sign, not turn left. Those little things that a lot of people don't see, uh, they just want to see the, 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 the sexy uniform on game day with the chrome helmet. They don't know what goes into it. And um, the risk that I take on these kids, I believe there's a bigger reward at the end of the tunnel. But those kids, uh, you know, that's a, that's what a recruiter is. It's our blood life. So, the difference between Division One recruiting and us is we recruit every single person in America. Division One, they have a they have a limit on scholarships. You know, right. Dante may get, you know, how many scholarships will he get? Six, eight, uh, if that, if four that, yeah. a year, yeah. for, uh, individually. So you know, he's got to be very, very selective. Uh, it's a character deal. He's got to go into the home and, and evaluate, and the coach has to vouch for the kid, and all those things. Where we kind of. Um, we'll take a little more risk as far as we throw our antenna out there a little bit broader and we go after a little, little bit, uh, we go after more kids in bulk, to be honest, because we know, uh, when you get a bunch of them, um, there's only so many going to make it and it's strength and numbers type of deal. And, and we got to go find the right ones, the right nucleus. And so, uh, we go after a lot more, uh, our spectrum's quite more broad. So it's a little different. And so, uh, we live off transfers and, 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 and big-time high school kids that don't qualify. And those what we go after, and everybody in the country goes after them. But I get them, so that's just how it is. Result-oriented business. Jason Brown, last chance you. He was the head coach in the last season of that Netflix show. Coach, you mentioned earlier you're pretty close with a lot of coaches at Oregon. Can you shine a light on that for us? Yeah, you know, Big Joe, um, Salve, I've known for a long, long time, and 
Uh, Dante, obviously, is a California junior, junior college product. Um, known him a long, long time. Coached with him, against him everywhere. You think about everything you can name. Uh, Mike Johnson was there. He just left uh, last year, but known him a long, long time. Um, shoot, man. Uh, uh, you guys Now you guys got your uh, D coordinator there, who I've known forever. Uh, recruited the heck out of my guys. Brought Delrick, responsible for helping get Delrick Abrams to Colorado before coach left to come over to Oregon um, to be at D.C., but um, shoot, who else is on that staff? I think I know half, more than half that staff. I'm yeah. trying to think who else is there now. Um, Probably Keith Hayward, I would imagine. Oh, I know Keith a long time since he, he was talking to Washington. Uh, was Marcus there at Royal? Yep, yep. He's still the offensive you No, know, Marcus a long time. He's with Jeff Tedford, who I've known for forever at Cal. So, yeah, I know those guys. They all know me. They've recruited my guys forever. Um, you know, Janelle and a couple guys came Monday that's up there. So, um, Coy and Dang ended up going to Cal, but he was up there, I believe, and Jermaine and uh, a few guys we had go up there. But, um, you know, I, I know a lot of those guys. I send kids everywhere in the country, 222 guys, Division One in my coaching career, 22 in the NFL. I think uh, I'm more known than any junior college coach in America, not because of the show either, but right. for getting kids graduated and sent to Division One schools. And my kids don't get kicked out of the four-year schools. They yeah. they graduate and act right and do the right thing, and they go on. And, and I think that's an important thing, Coach. I know that you know uh, the coaching community is this you know massive network, and, and even though everybody's competing against one another, it's kind of a brotherhood, if you will. Um, and I know that opens a lot of doors. That's that's really kind of been the key for a lot of coaches that have gotten to where they are now. You know, as they knew somebody or got a chance as a GA or got a, a, a you know a chance as an analyst or something and moved up. Um, so I guess with that, you obviously do know a lot of coaches. What's what's maybe next for Coach Brown? Are you are you looking to stick in the JUCO ranks? Or are you are you are you are you getting back into coaching? I know you're writing a book. What's what's kind of next for you, Coach? Um, you know what? I don't know, man, to be honest. I don't have a burning desire right now deep down to coach right now. I, I think these kids have become so dang enabled. I don't know if I want to mess with them, man, to be honest. But um, I don't know right now where I am where I stand, man. I got the, you know, my book is the number one bestseller going on three weeks strong, which is, you know, a blessing in disguise. And I've never thought in a million years that would be that successful. Uh, you know, you got that going on and then, I'm going to do a book tour, and I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements with local high schools and coaching staff. So I'm helping those guys out and, and just giving back something. If I can save one kid, uh, then it's worth my time to go speak to these guys. And so um, I got a publicist that's, that's, that's getting me around and speaking to a lot of people. And a lot of people have reached out, big-time organizations, companies, trying to represent me to do booking tours and everything like that. It's been crazy. Um, so I don't know what's next, to be honest. I don't know. I think I'm a junior college coach. I think uh, I think I was I was put here to do this because of where I'm from and my product of my I'm a product of my environment. I, I think I get through to these guys; they understand. And uh, and the kids all know. The kids all know the truth, and you never see a kid bashing me online or anything like that because they know the real. And uh, you only see these haters who have these opinions of 16 hours of my life on a film out of, you know, I was filmed 40 something hundred hours, but 16 hours they put on tape. And obviously it's Hollywood. They got to get ratings. So, you know, I don't know what's next. We'll see what happens, but you know, maybe I can be mentor some kids or some coaches and clinics some people and, and help in another way. But, but, you know, I love football. I want to help football people and help football coaches. Um, 
I like, but I just don't know what's next. It's so a, we'll see what happens. It sounds like you're a junior college coach at heart at the end of the day. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> I think it's the most rewarding level of football, period. And I think Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, I think those big-time coaches will tell you that. Uh, nobody wants to coach junior college. So junior college coaches, they go very, very uh, fly under the radar and are very, very, uh, I think, unappreciated at the end of the day. Yeah. So what we do... Uh, we mold these guys so the Division One guys can have they can go make nine million dollars with our kids. I, I definitely get the uh, underappreciated aspect. I mean, underappreciated aspect, if you will. And I, what I want to ask is, and I liken this. I'm sure you're very familiar with the with the uh, well former program Arizona Western, but you know they were a powerhouse every year, and you know up in one year their football program's gone. You know, and they were sure. they were putting dudes into the league. You know, left and right, similar to you. Uh, you know, yeah. I, know, I know Coach Minnick pretty well, uh, you know, from, from that school and, and dealing with him. I mean, how, like you said, uh, nobody wants to coach junior college. You know, why is that? Is that the financing? Is it, is it dealing with, with the young men that you have to? What, you know, why is the reasoning that, that you say? I do agree with you. I'm just asking you to put it into your own words. Well, it's daddy daycare, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what do you guys mean? We're, 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 we're babysitters. Um, we're psychologists. We are fathers um not biological fathers but we're fathers to all these guys and and at the end of the day we bring in 200 guys to get a team of 60 75 guys to go in the same direction at the same time but the other 120 guys that are in the dorms we are coaching them up every day the same so they don't rob mcdonald's they don't go out and steal at walmart and they don't go disrespect women and they go do the right things. And then we're ultimately held accountable for the entire gamut. And our assistants are held responsible. And there's a huge difference. And uh, I think uh, it takes a special individual to manage 200 of these yahoos and get them to go the same direction and teach them how to be uh, young men. I mean, we had, so you know, we had 22 kids that never played it down for me at Independent Sign Division One. Never played it down for me because Division One coaches know that my word counts if the kid got through my program, then he's going to be pretty good there. And we had a lot of Division One transfers that came in, never played for us because they weren't good enough. That's the difference between what we had talent-wise in Division One schools that were smaller tier, FBS, FCS, whatever, smaller schools, mid-majors. They couldn't play for us. But they practiced, we filmed it, and Division One saw what they did, and they took them. And I vouched for their character. And so the guys that got it, they went on and moved on. They didn't even have to play for me. But the guys that don't, usually the ones that, you know, bashing me and sucking the teeth. And Coach got favorites and all that. Yeah, I'm playing with women and you're doing right. <laughs> so that's how it goes. Talking with Jason Brown, he was the coach on the school that was covered in the last season of Last Chance U. Coach, what's harder? You were on Netflix and they filmed you for thousands of hours or the uh, book that you have coming out? What was harder for you? Oh, man. The book was easy, man. I just the Netflix gave me the platform, though, which is a great thing. I mean, and that's why I said, you know what? I might as well strike by the iron's hot. Hopefully I can touch and save someone with a book. And I've had Fortune 500 company CEOs respond to me and different people saying, man, I'm going to use a lot of these ideologies in, my, in your book, in my, in my business. And so I think book uh, football, man, coaching is, is so 
relative to everything else in the world, in my opinion. And I think whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or a football coach or just, you know, an average Joe walking down the street, I think somebody can gain some knowledge out of the book and get something out of it and just take, you know, we all steal from each other, man, as far as ideas and, and uh, you know, coaching is no different. We steal from everyone. And um, I think, you know, people can get something out of the book and hopefully they steal something from me. And, uh, and use it in a, in a positive light and positive manner. And I think uh, I think that 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 was the, my goal for it. And I, it's, it's blossomed and it's booming right now. And I'm 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 I'm, I'm grateful. Number one bestseller, and it's like it's like selling number one over like Tom Brady and Tony Dungy books, which is crazy to me. I never never thought it'd be this good, this well received. And for those who don't know, the book's called "Hate Me Now, Love Me Later." Um... And I imagine, Coach, there's a number of ways you can get it. Amazon, everybody's got it. Go to Barnes & Noble. Yeah, Amazon, Kindle, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's everywhere. And, and I'm doing signed autograph books, too, and they can get them for me straight through my, my, uh, my Venmo and PayPal. So they, I'm, doing, I'm doing, shoot, 100 books a week on that deal. So it's, doing, it's, it's good. So it's a good deal. Good. So, uh, you know, I read something that said you were really reluctant to do the show initially, Coach, and, you know, which I can get. Uh, one of the things that struck me so far uh, is that we've had you on here for, I don't know, close 10 to 10 to 15 minutes, and uh, I haven't heard you cuss once yet, Coach. <laughs> so, I mean, no just, <laughs> just kind of looking back, you know, that just stuck out to me. How do, how do you feel the show kind of reflected the, the true, you know, Coach Brown, Jason Brown? I mean, was it fairly accurate? As you said, it was the best 16 hours of, you know, or the Hollywood 16 hours of, of 100 hours or whatever it might be. You know, fellas, I, shoot, man, every Division One coach, everyone in the country knows who I am as far as they know I can go into a business office and not, and portray myself professionally as anybody. And it's just, I'm a chameleon, man. I do what I have to do to get results. And probably like nobody else in America can do. And and that's kind of something that I've been blessed with. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a result-oriented business. Man. And nobody cares at the end of the day. And nobody's going to care... Uh, what happened is Bobby Bruce um, left my place and went back to, to Florida. Nobody cares at the end of the day. Nobody cares how many wins and losses we have um, in junior college. I mean, unless you're a junior college uh, avid follower, like who, who played for the junior college national championship last year? 99% of the country don't know. Right. And, but they do know who graduated, who went on, who went to jail, who got kicked out. And those why that's why I am the way I am because, my kids don't go to jail. They don't get kicked out of those four-year schools. Those schools call me and say how great my guys are as far as being up. They're the first ones there at 5 in the morning and the last ones to leave and sit in the front of class and they ask questions and they don't sag their pants and they don't say the B word and they respect women. And those are the things that I'm ultimately proud of and I can sleep at night. It allows me to sleep at night. And uh, wins and losses don't do diddly for me. And, uh, you know, people have this perception of me that, of 16 hours that I'm running through Walmart just cussing out little babies. You know what I'm saying? Like it's calm. It's com- it's so comical to me um, that people, just grown folks, judge someone off of a show that that they turn and twist and they massage to make this best-selling show. I mean, you know, number one show. So um, people that know me and coaches that know me and uh, they they laugh and they know the real me and the players know the real me and. Uh, what I do for my coaches and my players is, uh, you know, probably unrivaled and unparalleled. And so 
you know, th- that's all. I-, I know the truth. I know what I am. I don't, I owe nobody nothing, no explanation besides those babies and those kids. And, and that's what, uh, that's the truth. And that's what everybody knows. And the, and the, and the naysayers out there, you know, man, those are the dudes. They're just serving donuts at, at Winchell's and, and not helping a soul, man. You know what I mean? And, and they want to judge me for 16 hours, which is cool with me. It turns me on, to be honest. And like I said before, and, and uh, that's what makes me tick. But, uh, you know, yeah, man, I, I'm not a, I got about three, four degrees, brother. You know, but people don't know that either. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. So, uh, but people want to judge me for what they do, and it's, it's fine with me. You know, it makes me, uh, it makes me uh, drink, drink uh, a little better uh, whiskey at night is all. I was going to ask, I couldn't tell from the show if you're a whiskey guy or a scotch guy or a bourbon guy. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, ah, shit, man. Short, fat, skinny, or tall, man. I drink them all, you know? <laughs> you got a favorite cigar? You got a favorite stogie or just whatever one's in your um, There's a lot, man. Some type of Cuban, Nicaraguan, Cuban, something, something that's, uh, Maduro, uh, strong, you know what I mean? Something, something stronger, but now nah, I got a, got a lot of good hookups, man. It's been un- unbelievably beneficial for me in the cigar <laughs> world since I smoked them. I've, I've been sent a cigar from about every manufacturer in, in the world. Um, so it's been so overwhelming, man. And, and the owners of these big time cigar places are writing me handwritten letters and stuff. And so, Hey, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a ride. It's been a great ride, man. We, we put our foot in the sand, in the sand, man, our footprints and, and we've, uh, we've made history and, you know, without the show, without Greg Whiteley and his production team, you know, independence is never known. The Jayhawk Conference is not known like it is now. And I don't believe, so you know, 17 coaches got Division One and Division Two jobs off my staff in three years. They don't talk about that. Right. And, and 101 players went Division One in three years. I mean, it's a national record. And we had the highest football playing GPA of anyone that plays in the country. Nobody talks about that. Not one kid got arrested on my watch, went to jail. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is, man. All good things come to an end. But people judge me for, for eight hours a, a, a year on the show. And, and you know, I'm, I'm paying to be this guy. And, and it's, it's funny. But, but I've never had a negative uh, reception in, in, by a person in person ever. Um, and I, I've gotten so many love uh, emails and, 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 and social media uh, messages um, that it's, it's unbelievable. So, you know, um, it's been a great ride, man. But you know, I wouldn't have changed anything, and 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 uh, I don't regret anything. Um, and uh, you know, if, if you look in the rearview mirror, man, too long, you'll never see what's in front of you. So, I'm kind of that way. Right. Sounds sounds like there might be a a, a Coach Brown cigar company on the way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, man, you never know. How cigar are in the work. Cigar of the month club or something. Um, I'm going to ask you about two players, and and we'll probably get you sent off here pretty quick. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you know, Oregon was Oregon wanted Jermaine Johnson the worst way. He obviously signed with Georgia. Uh, you know, I mean, just from your recollect, you know, was Oregon ever really in the game there all that much, or was he pretty heavy, you know, to Georgia early on, um, from what you can recall? You'll never get my players if you don't talk to me. I'll leave it at that. Okay. You'll never get a player from me. Gotcha. So. I never pushed my players to any school, ever. And uh, 101 guys, you know, 40 guys went power five and three years there, which is unrivaled. Um, but if you're not going to – what blows my mind, fellas, you want to talk about recruiting, that's why Division One coaches that don't know me come in the office and get cussed out by me when they came to get my players. 
Don't ever request a transcript without me knowing, number one, because kids get blackballed by these Division One coaches. They'll come get your kids' grades. Uh, that's why nobody can give a transcript out without me knowing. I'm, I was the one that handled it because I've seen kids get screwed. Um, what happens is Johnny from Florida comes and gets a transcript, and the kid has two Fs at the time being. He goes and tells Johnny at Oregon or Georgia or wherever that Johnny's not going to graduate. Well, full of crap, he is going to graduate because that's what I do better than anybody in the country. But that gets a negative connotation that's thrown out there because the guy has no clue that I'm going to fix this thing and, I, and he's in the process. He's a junior college kid. They're broken. I have to fix them. So if you do that with me, you're not going to get my guy. And then number two, um, you know, it blows my mind that you're going to give a kid a $100,000 scholarship and you don't talk to the head coach and ask him about his character. It blows my mind. I, I still, to this day, I, I've had apology letters from Power 5 head coaches apologizing to me that they didn't do it because I cussed their asses out when they came in the office. It blows my mind that they don't want to know that they're going to invest all this money in this guy. And uh, what if I just, so when guys, this is what I started doing, just so you guys know, they'd walk in and say, hey, coach, how you doing? Uh, how's the week? Well, he, fucking, he robbed McDonald's last night. You didn't know? <laughs> and they just looked at me, dropped their jaw looking at me. And I go, yeah, bro, but you would know that if you called me, right? And you want me to endorse your school? No, it's not going to happen. And and so, you know, obviously not Malik Henry. I'm just saying the name in general. So, you know, that's kind of, that's how I am. And, uh, you know, I know those guys at Oregon, too. That's the funny part about it. And, uh, you know, Dante finally called and came in late. And it was just a little too late on Jermaine. And, and Jermaine is about relationships. And that's how I got Jermaine. And, uh. I think it was just a little bit too late. And Georgia, I think he felt comfortable with the family atmosphere, and, and they went that route. Gotcha. Yeah, well, that's the SEC, too. That's all, you know, I know a lot of kids, that's their dream, you know, get back and play in the SEC, and you can't blame them. Yeah. Um, well, just so you know, Jermaine's, Jermaine's dream school was UCLA and being on the West Coast. So okay. I'll tell you like this. If I had an Oregon jer- uh, polo on or a UCLA polo, I wouldn't lose in Jermaine and no Georgia. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like hearing all that SEC and all that. Pete Carroll never lost nobody to SEC. Right. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just saying, it's a, it's a result-oriented business, brother, and recruiting is our blood life, and I'll recruit against anybody in America and win. And, I, you know, these D1 coaches don't understand how easy they have it. I would love to give me a polo that says something with Pac-12 on it. I ain't losing Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, and and being able to fly all over the country, and yeah, there's definitely yeah. Come on, man, I'm driving a car across the country to get to Maine Johnson. So, you know, and and still, had I had better players than anybody in America. And, and shoot, it is what it is, man. You're gonna go 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 figure it out. The truth hurts, though. Your recruiting success is it uh, is it better related to your ability to uh, overlate, or is it your your effort and your grind? You think it's all that. That's just what the, that's just what a definition of a recruiter is, man. Turning over rocks, um, you know. Everybody can everybody can find a kid. Everybody you can find the kid on Twitter right now. Right. Can you locate him? Okay, fifty percent of good coaches can locate the kid too. Can you contact the kid? That's the ninety percent difference. Like, can you contact him? That means actually go get him, find him, talk to him on the phone, what have you and stay in steady communication. Can you contact them? 
And then the fourth thing is, can you sign him? And, you know, those are my four points of recruiting. And that's what I teach. I taught that every day and I preached it to my staff every day. And that's what we went and did. And, uh, we turn over rocks and that was our model. Turn over rocks and find out what makes these kids tick, where they are, who's the, who's shot caller, who's making the decision. Um, and then, you know, you got to relate to the kid. I mean, if the kid's not filling you, you're not getting them. Yeah. So obviously, you know, um, you know, I, I don't see how I get Jermaine Johnson independence and not get them at UCLA. Right. I'm there. Like, it doesn't make no sense to me. I mean, that's asinine. So, you know, um, it's just one of those deals, man. I, I just think it's a, it's a, uh, true testament of your character because these kids, a lot of these people call these kids, um, everything single thing in the book. They call them slow or they're remedial or whatever. There's one thing they're not, they're not stupid and they'll see through your BS in about seven seconds. So you better be honest and real with these cats because I don't care if they didn't qualify from high school and they can't spell cat and you told them there was a C and a T in it. They will see through the BS. And that's what makes me different because I'm going to be genuine and truthful to the parent, to the kid, and I'm going to tell them the harsh reality that the real world is going to hit you in the mud, in the mouth in about 18 months. And you better not put your future in someone else's hands. So you better know what there is to know about your future and basically be the CEO of yourself and understand where you're going. You know, how many units does it take to graduate? How, how long do I got to be at this junior How What do I have to do to graduate high school and be a qualifier? I, I go speak to these kids right now, brother. They have no clue. Not one of them know right. how many core classes they need as a high school senior. It's unbelievable to me. That's true. So, you know, it's sad. I, I should go around coaching counselors at these high schools. That's what I need to do. But, uh, you know, End of the day, man, I mean, it's just uh, kids got to be understand the future and know what it takes to graduate and get out. And uh, there's no excuses, man. They're grown folks now. They have to understand this. They're putting their future in the counselor's hands and someone else's hands. And they need to go turn over rocks and figure out themselves. Nobody cares. Definitely. Definitely. He's Jason Brown, coach from the last season of Last Chance U. His book is Hate Me Now, Love Me Later. That's Hate Me Now, Love Me Later. Great title. Uh, find it on Amazon or in any bookstore you have in uh, in your town and, and check that out. Coach, we really appreciate our time with you today. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I, I got to go do a Georgia deal right now talking about uh, Jermaine, to be honest. So. Uh, <laughs> And I, boy, I heard some bad news about my kid, Emmett Gooden, blew his knee out today at practice at Tennessee. And, um, unfortunate, man, my, you know, my prayers go out to him. But, you know, I'll call him here in a minute and uh, get his head back up. And so, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. But those things happen in this part of the game. And, uh, you know, those are uh, that's just a uh, few of the many that we've sent on at those big-time programs that are doing very, very well. So, um I appreciate you having me, man, anytime, and uh, it was good talking. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Appreciate the enlightenment in the, in the show and, and some of the, the rigors of Juco, and uh, hope you can throw a stogie in the mouth and hop in the Cadillac and hit the beach here soon. Hey, I'm about to in a couple minutes, to be honest. I bet you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks, good talking to you guys. Thanks again, Coach. Uh, thank you. So that title is interesting. It's an interesting title, but I, I was thinking, hey, 
a better title would have been people think I run through Walmart cussing out little babies. <laughs> yeah, that would have been catchy, right? That's an all-time quote right that, there. That could be the uh, uh, the follow-up on Netflix or something. But no, I mean, you know, amazing as I pointed out about halfway through or a little farther than that, you know, uh, you know, just talking to Coach Brown, he doesn't sound remotely like the guy, uh, you know, on the show. And, you know, I, I, you always hear about it. You always hear, you always hear about, you know, shows and, and then people afterwards like, oh, that didn't you know, portray me as I really am. And I mean, I think you can understand that because, you know, the idea behind the show is to try and get people to watch. You're going to grab the best clips and put them in the show and you're not going to take, you know, some of the other clips uh, that maybe just don't move the needle as much. So um, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, love him or hate him is he seems like uh, a fairly genuine guy, at least that, that does care about uh, young men. And I think coming up, you know, he grew up in the Compton, California area, which, uh, you know, I would guess that as a as a as a white male in that area probably wasn't the easiest thing to do. We didn't ask him about that, but uh, you know, so I'm sure there was a lot associated with that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to live there. Right, right, <laughs> and that's probably a big reason why he's able, you know, to relate. You know, you grow up in that kind of environment, and you're able to relate with other young men that have grown up in a tough environment, and. Uh, I, you know, I think that's going to kind of make you who you are as, as a college coach. I mean, it doesn't make it right or wrong. I mean, obviously his style is different than what we see out of Mario Cristobal and it doesn't make it better or worse. They're two different coaches, but right. I mean, there's different coaches all over Nick Saban and, and Dabo Swinney are completely different kinds of coaches. I mean, it's just the way it is. Everybody has their own way. It's a matter of, of kind of owning it and sticking to it. So, um, great little segment. I thought it was, it was nice to hear, you know, about, you know, him going through the show and some of the recruiting stuff. But uh, but but I guess now we can get back to Oregon football, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had a couple parts in there that I think were Oregon relevant. Yes. But um, not like this is going to be. Right. Like like right now, everybody and their mother wants Auburn game. Right. And we just didn't want to pound you with an hour of that. But we can give you 20 or 30 of that. Yeah, we could get another 20 minutes with Hitler Day here probably real easy and, and talk about Auburn and – the matchup and the week one matchup, um, you know, not a lot, I guess, you know, to touch on it, there hasn't, the, you know, Oregon has completed five practices as we, well, probably six if we count today, which is just wrapping up right now. Um, you know, so we don't, can't really include that. You know, obviously the biggest news so far, Brendan Schooler, uh, you know, going to miss six to eight weeks. A huge blow. Huge blow, uh, leadership blow. Um, but, you know, we've heard a lot about the receivers so far stepping in. You know, Micah Pittman's been making a lot of plays. Juwan Johnson, there's already a, a ton expected of him. Um, you know, Brian Addison's been mentioned here and there. It sounds like Jalen Red's improving. Um, you know, I, I, that's at the end of the day, having having quality depth there, which I believe Oregon has this year that they didn't have last year, is just going to make that group better. Now, you told me straight up, this is over a year ago, before we did the podcast, and we just had every week on my radio show, I'd have Justin Hopkins, and Justin Hopkins would be sharing his Ducks thoughts. You were telling me, Matt, watch out for Brian Addison. Yeah. Of Brian Addison, once he figures it out, you know, he's got to change positions. He's got to, you know, go through all the, the nuances and all the transition. Once he got that figured out, this guy was going to be a stud. Yeah. And and are you you just beam with pride every time you, you read a report about this guy and, and hear from the coaches about what he's doing now? No, you know, it was just it was one of those things. It was a matter of time. You know, I think fans expectations of players can be off, you know, just because a kid's ranked inside the top 100 of a, of a ranking on 24-7 sports or whatnot 
people automatically assume instant success and that's not how it works all the time. So, you know, a, a guy like, you know, Addison's highly, highly ranked for a reason. He's got athletic traits that other kids don't have. He can do things other kids can't do. But at, again, you're going from the high school level to a major level of college football it doesn't mean that you understand the playbook or that you're used to the timing or, I mean, there's certain elements to the game that just aren't there that only come with time. So I think, you know, for Addison, there were some expectations of him to be somewhat of an immediate contributor, uh, especially because the receiver group was so poor last year uh, overall, you know, it didn't fully work out, but you know, he's got, he's gotten that time and he's, he's definitely made the most of it. I think, you know, now you're probably going to be, be at a point where you see him maybe take that next step. But, you know, Micah Pittman's a guy we had on the, on the podcast and he talked about, you know, I want to have what, what I think he said, I want to have either 60 catches or a thousand yards. I can't remember exactly what the catches were, but right. And, and we rolled our eyes a little bit. At right. That, right. True freshman comes in, says he's going to light it up. Right. This kid's lighting it up. And he's right lighting now. it up. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, go figure there. Uh, you just you never know. I mean, Juwan Johnson. If he can, you know, stay healthy and and get control of his drops, he he's you know he's got potential to be a big guy, you know, big time guy. So, right, um, you know, obviously the the, the other biggest uh, battle currently is is the uh, second safety spot, you know, and we've heard, you know, you've heard Jamal Hill's name come up, uh, you know, Brady Breeze has been back there, Nick Pickett's a dude, you know, there's there's a lot. I I just think that between whether Oregon is in a nickel or if they're in their, their uh, base defense, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of movement at that second safety spot next to Javon Holland. I think that'll continue for the first few weeks of, of football really. But other than that, not a lot of groundbreaking news. I mean, I, I, you know, the one thing we keep hearing about is that this group is bigger, stronger, longer than they've been in the past couple of years. Something I've been saying for six months now, you right. know, this group is bigger, stronger, longer than they've been. And that's what you want. I mean, if you go, and you and you just go eyeball a, a Clemson or an Alabama football team, they're bigger, stronger, longer than going to look at you know maybe let's just say like a Boise State team, or if you go even look at UCLA right now, or you know some of these other programs, you just eyeball. You don't even have to be a football guy. Just look down the line, and you can see, yep, this team's way bigger than that team, mm-hmm. um, and there that's an advantage. I mean, nine out of ten times, that's an advantage right there, and that's what Oregon's working towards, and. Um, you know, between the 2018 and 2019 classes that are there now, I mean, you're seeing a total roster transformation. And now what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, vet, veteran guys, guys that have started for maybe two or three years. And all of a sudden, those guys behind them, the gap is a lot closer than it was, you know, last year. Mm-hmm. You know, last year it was, okay, this is definitely the starter. We, we had a clear first team, yeah. no backups. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe a backup here or there, but otherwise, yeah, it was pretty limited. Now it's like, well, here's the starter, and this guy's right behind him. Right. Like, he better better stay on his A game, and that's that's how you make a better football team. Yes. I mean, that's just the that's how you do it. And, again, highlighting the schooler injury, and I, I think back to um, different team, but what, what Oregon State is going through right now with Jeremy Reichner, he's their best defensive lineman, and he tore his ACL this week. Football is a game of attrition. Yeah. It's not enough to just put a starting 11 out there. You need 11 guys on the bench. You need 11 guys behind them. You need guys that are, are going to get red shirts that are going to be ballers the next year. Yeah. You need depth. Yeah. And the Ducks have it. Yeah. Football really is about being, you know, you're as good as your weakest link, you know, at the end of the day. 
And that might not be 100% true, but it's a lot more true than saying, well, we got four first rounders, we're going to be good. Well, sure, maybe you do, but if you have nothing else to go with those four first rounders, you're going to get screwed. Yeah, regardless of what position they are. I mean, let's face it, Oregon could have Justin Herbert back there, but even when he doesn't have much of a receiving core, he's rendered, I don't want to say, you know, useless. He's not useless, but you could, you're definitely limiting his ability. Right. Um, and that's just at Oregon, for, for example. So, um, this team is better overall. I think the biggest thing that we're hearing, and I do believe is, is, is the culture and the discipline is there. And, and that's something that you as a coach work on and work on and work on, but it just doesn't happen overnight. You've got to, it's a, you know, when coach Brown was saying it's a, a results driven job is what coaching is. Well, that's what, that's what the culture is. It, you have to go out and you have to say, guys, look, if you do this, this, and this, this will be the result. This this will be, and until they see that result, they're not going to buy in and say, "Yeah, coach just wants me to work out more. He wants me to run more. He just wants me to run more." Well, when you realize, hey, I'm actually faster than I was. I'm stronger than I was. I guess coach was doing this for a reason. Once you've seen that result, you start to buy in, and that's a process. That's not something you can do in six weeks. Maybe not even in in your first year. Um, but I think they're seeing it now, working under Coach Feld and the other strength coaches there all those results have come out. So now the players are buying in more and more, and that's really driving this culture to a whole nother level. Right. Year two as a head man, year three at Oregon, there's a trust in Mario Cristobal and in his staff. And hopefully it carries over to Dallas against Auburn in a couple weeks. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're headed. I guess we may as well get Hith on and see if he's got a few minutes. Let's do it. I am pumped for this. I know Justin's pumped for this. At Hithliday1 on Twitter. You know him as Hithliday. Hith, let's talk Auburn game, man. It feels like this could come tomorrow and, you know, or we could wait another three weeks and just dive into all the nitty gritty. But there's so much to get into, so much that fans are excited about. When, when you look at this game with that X's and O's brain that you have, what excites you the most? Uh, well, I think. Uh, the most exciting thing is what has been exciting me about Oregon for uh, this entire se- off season, which is seeing the new players um, and and knowing the strengths and the weaknesses that Auburn has. After I, you know, I reviewed their entire season, charted every one of their games. The statistical analysis is still cooking, but I feel like I understand them pretty well. Uh, I think there are some pretty exciting matchups uh, for Oregon uh, against what uh, Auburn brings to the table. Uh- Obviously, Auburn's breaking in a new quarterback, so you know that's, I guess, if you will, the biggest question mark of this game, really. But what other element do you believe Oregon will have the upper hand in against Auburn at this particular point in time? Hmm, I would say there's two of them. It's hard to say which one's a, a bigger factor, so I'll give you two for the price of one. Uh, the first one is Auburn's going to be breaking an entirely new core of inside linebackers. And in the structure, there are three, three, five defense. Uh, the inside linebackers have got to do everything. Um, they, the, the, 
defensive lines are not really the ones who are making the tackles. They maintain the line of scrimmage and the inside linebackers are the ones who uh, bring it down. And they had a bunch of really great ones, uh, Deshaun Davis and uh, and, and a couple other guys, and they're losing all three of them, Darrell uh, Williams, Montavious Atkinson. Um, and what they're bringing in uh, you know, to replace them are guys who, who just didn't see a whole lot of snaps last year, KJ Britt and Chandler Wooten. I think Britt was out with a with an injury in fall camp and uh and there's not a lot of depth behind him it's, it's a big question mark and i think there's a, a potential for oregon to uh if they can get past their defensive line to to really make some hay in the inside running game which as we know oregon really wants to do uh the other matchup on the other side of the ball um or, or on on the other part of the the offense is uh Auburn secondary, there's not a lot of question marks there. They're bringing back four of their five starters in their nickel, um, and they you know, have a lot of experience in, in the backups behind them. No, no real questions about who's going to be playing there, but I think they're losing their best uh, defensive back, uh, Jamel Dean, who is the closest thing they had to a lockdown corner. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure who they're going to put on Juwan Johnson, but whoever it is, I don't think is going to be a great matchup for Auburn. Uh, it'll probably either be Javaris Davis, who's a who's awfully short, he's listed as 5'10", that's generous, Um, or Noah Igbenogany. I mean, he's listed at 5'11", he looks taller than that, Uh, certainly longer. Um, But he's a converted wide receiver, and it really showed last year. Uh, He, you know, made a lot of mistakes. So I really am excited to see Juwan Johnson uh, for the first time in the Ducks uniform, and uh, I think he presents some real matchup problems for him. I love that you went there, Hith, because we were just talking about Brendan Schooler and and the mm-hmm. loss of him, but then you turn it around and you point out, we don't think Auburn has a guy who can cover 6'4", 260. I, I, I think about the specs and the measurements of Jawan Johnson, and I think fades and, and vertical routes and getting him some jump balls. Do you think that's doable in the Oregon offense? Uh, I definitely do. Um, it was certainly... Uh, within Justin Herbert's wheelhouse last year. Um, you know, one of the reasons why he had sort of a love affair with Dylan Mitchell was that that was the type of route that he loves throwing. He he had a, a comparatively some problems seeing the middle of the field, you know, with the dig routes and so forth. Uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see whether or not he's gotten over that problem you know, going into his last year. But uh, the type of route that I think that Jawan Johnson's going to want to run against uh, the structure of this secondary is the kind of throw that Justin Herbert loves to make. So in terms, so we know, okay, so for me, uh, getting the pass game going, and I think you and I are going to agree on this fully. Getting the pass game going for Oregon is is, is probably vital, um, you know, to their success at least offensively. But along with that, we know that that Mario Cristobal likes to run the football. We we know that that is a staple of his offense, and we also know that Auburn, for all intents and purposes, is probably strongest at defensive line. So, from what you've been able to chart and what you've been able to see, I I do believe. And, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe you think that Auburn's defensive line's a tad bit overhyped. Do you see this as a matchup that Oregon can win, basically creating lanes and getting two, three, four yards uh, on a semi-consistent basis? I I don't think I would describe them as overhyped because the three uh, starting defensive linemen that they bring back are exactly as advertised. Uh, 
Derek Brown, uh, the tackle in the middle, uh, Nico Marlon Davidson, the ends are they're excellent. Um, they're they're they deserve every bit as much uh, accolade as they have uh, as, as they've gotten. The issue is who they have besides those guys. Um, you know, it's a position that requires a lot of depth. And uh, they, you know, they lost uh, Dontavious Russell, who's the other great defensive tackle they had. They lost Andrew Williams, uh, who's the, you know, probably the third guy in their tackle lineup. And, you know, I just wasn't seeing much uh, out of any other tackle uh, that they had. Uh, Truesdell or Newkirk or, or Miller or uh, Terry Walker, I saw, had like two snaps. Um, and I believe that Newkirk and Miller, you know, both had, you know, injuries. So, you know, that's unfortunate. We'll see how they recover from that. And then the depth behind them... Uh, there's no snaps. There's not a ton of experience. And, uh, you know, I think it's a big question mark, you know, what's going to happen when they rotate uh, that out. And then on top of that, as I said, the structure of uh, their defensive front is such that, like, the defensive line only gets them so much. It's only part of the equation. The, the other part, arguably the larger part, is are the inside linebackers going to be able to to make those tackles? And I've got some big questions about them, as I said. So, um, yeah, I, I actually would uh, push back a little bit on you uh, there, Justin. I, I think that actually establishing the run is going to be a lot more important. And the, the past sort of what happens uh, over the top when they have to bring the safeties down in order to, to deal with the run game. I think if Oregon wins this game, that's a lot more like what the, uh, the strategy is going to look like. So is there a particular matchup in this game that you're excited, excited, especially excited for uh, it, and whether, and that can be whether it is an individual player on another individual player or a group on a group, you know, O-line versus D-line. Is there a particular matchup that you've kind of at least identified early on in this game? Well, I'll tell you the one that I'm most excited about um, because I've spent the last two months writing previews of the Pac-12 uh, and have been, you know, looking forward to the entire season, you know, beyond just this game, right. uh, is how Oregon's offensive line does against those defensive line starters. Um, because I, you know, I I believe these are probably the three best defensive linemen that they will face all year in the regular season, um, and uh, and if Oregon's offensive line handles them and and we've got our fingers crossed that they will um then look out uh for the rest of the pac 12 because you know we're going to know how every single you know oregon game is going to look like if oregon can put push these defensive linemen around then the pac 12 doesn't have a chance if you mentioned that series you're working on and uh that's over we got to say it uh, it, it's not Scoop Duck, unfortunately, but uh, still some good stuff over there. Addicted to Quack. Um, good series on the Pac-12 schools. Is there a school that you've studied this offseason that y- you think about how they match up with Oregon, a school that draws some concern for you? Probably the team that I think is the most uh, interesting is USC. Uh, simply because, one, I think they will have one of the best defensive lines that Oregon is going to play in the regular season, and I'm always, you know, that's usually my number one concern is if Oregon can't establish the run, they can't really do much. So got to be able to beat the defensive line, and that's probably the best defensive unit that they're bringing back since they lose their linebackers and their entire secondary core is a mess. It's a very talented but a bunch of freshmen. Um, and, you know, as always is true with USC, they – they have phenomenal talent. I mean, it, it's 
it's incredible. And if they can just put it together behind some even halfway competent coaching, they're always a threat to, to win the conference. So uh, that was the article that uh, I think I had the most uh, fun writing because there were so many different question marks or so many different ways that that offense can go. And the, uh, the podcast interview that we did with Alicia D'Artola of Reign of Troy was, uh, was incredible. It was really worth a listen. So you've got USC as your most interesting matchup, and uh, but that's pro- I'm going to assume that doesn't mean that you think it's Oregon's toughest. I, I would imagine you're probably on the Washington bandwagon, like many oh, yeah. others. Yeah. What did? What did Although you- Washington is also a team that could go in a number of different directions, as I think most Oregon fans uh, know and are sort of uh, sick with talking to their cousins across the border about <laughs> uh, Washington's you know, replacing a whole lot. And, uh, and we will have to wait and see how, how that goes. There's a version in which they are very good, possibly even better. Um, and there's a version that goes the other way. Are you surprised by the, uh, the quarterback battle there right now? Last I heard Jacob Eason might not even be the backup. I'm not. Uh, I'm not actually surprised. Um, I, I pulled up his 2016 film from when he was a freshman at Georgia, and uh, watched a lot of that, and then set it side by side with his film in the spring game at Washington. And you got to take with this, with a grain of salt. You know, it's only a little bit of 2019 data that we have, and the spring games are always weird. You know, they're not full speed or full contact or anything like that. But a, the thing that was exciting about Jacob Eason in his freshman year, the reason why he was a five-star was that he was, you know, mechanically excellent, which is somewhat surprising to see in a big guy. Um, and uh, even though he had some freshman problems uh, at Georgia, you could say, hey, in a you know normal career, he'd correct those problems. But right. it's clear that there's a lot of rust on that guy or maybe lingering effects of the injury. I'm not sure uh, what. But if you put their film, uh, the film of those uh, two side-by-side, side, you know, three, four years later, he looks like a different quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not really surprised uh, that there's a battle. So what uh, – I'm, I'm really curious. You you mentioned a version of, of Washington that, that's uh, really good or possibly even better. What, what, what to you makes that Washington team potentially better than they were a year ago? Well, if you study their 2018 film uh, – the thing that's clear about them is unlike <laughs> pretty much any team in the Pac-12 uh, for the last decade, uh, that A, they are a defensive-led team, and B, that defense is led by their defensive backs. And uh, it's kind of crazy to say, uh, given that they're losing four of their five starters uh, at the defensive backs, but the guys that they're bringing in to replace them are possibly better. Um, and uh, in addition to being very deep and very uh, talented, you know, it's a bunch of four stars. There's, you know, more four star defensive backs than I think I've ever seen collected in one place before. Um, that a lot of them got a lot of experience in 2018 because they did, you know, rotate through a lot. Uh, and if that's the case, and they've really learned to lean into how the defensive backs can lead a defense, like how you can have a great pass defense without a great pass rush is something that is pretty unusual in college football. And I think it'll be the case again. Um, uh, and, and in that sense, you know, if they know how to work that, then every, you know, the dominoes are all set up for them to have another great season. So we're going to, we're going to circle back uh, 
to the opening here, and I'm not going. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to give me a prediction if you don't want. But how are you feeling at this particular moment about Oregon headed into this Auburn game overall? Oh, I'm optimistic. Uh, I mean, I'm always optimistic, but having you know had a chance to to break down Auburn or at least get started with it, uh, still waiting on the statistical analysis. But uh, uh, yeah, I think. Th- I think that there are a lot of what Oregon wants to do are things that um, Auburn is either um, going to have uh, trouble with, or at least there's question marks. And a lot of the stuff that uh, Auburn does well, I think Oregon is, uh, you know, well situated to handle. Um, I think there are probably more question marks about uh, Auburn than there are about Oregon at this point. Certainly Oregon's returning more production um, than Auburn is. And, um, it, it, and uh, I, I feel like, you know, this is one where um, I feel like this is one where Oregon has circled a little bit more than Auburn does. Uh, you know, Auburn's got if you look at, you know, with the trajectory of that program and their coaching staff and so forth, they've got a lot of stuff on their minds, uh, uh, if you know what I mean. And right. and I feel like they have an SEC season, you know, that they're looking forward to. And Oregon knows that this game means a lot. Right. And I think they're going to play like it. Right. I, I think about job security. Mario knows he's got a long leash, and those guys at Auburn, that whole staff, you either get up or you're getting out. Yeah. From what you were able to see with Auburn, and I know this can be subjective, it's really hard to know you know, who's blown an assignment and this and that, but I mean, are they? Are, uh, I think one of the biggest knocks on, on Gus Malzahn overall is, is maybe from a schematic standpoint, and I guess from what you've seen, in terms, and I know he's, you know, I know he leads the offense, but is this Auburn team, or at least were they last year, very schematically sound, or did they seem to make a lot of mistakes along the way? Um, I think at the calling card for uh, Gus Malzahn's offense, they were uh, very schematically sound. I actually thought that they uh, ran the RPO game uh, about as well as you could want. Um, I thought that uh, Stidham. Who I you know I have some I have some complaints with Stidham's game, um, but one thing that he was excellent at was you know, making his reads in that option offense, which is extremely important because you screw up in an option offense, those are potentially catastrophic. Those are potentially negative yardage plays, fumbles, other turnovers where there's nobody in the backfield to stop a scoop and score, um, and uh, and in that sense. Those plays were well-designed. They were well-executed. They had the talent in order to do it. Uh, That was never the problem. The problem was execution um, from the quarterback who, uh, bizarrely, because in 2017, Jared Sidden was a very accurate quarterback. He was very inaccurate in 2018. And, I mean, actually, one of the benefits of charting the games is that it becomes a lot easier to tell, uh, you know, who is the one who is responsible for this sort of stuff. And their offensive line wasn't great. Uh, I didn't like their distribution of... Um, uh, who they were targeting the uh, in terms of their wide receivers. I thought that that was really out of whack. Um, but uh, you could also tell that Jared Siddham was, you know, unforced er- making a lot of unforced errors, a lot of inaccurate throws. So that is potentially an area where the new quarterback could could make some improvements. Um, but I would be worried that it's a freshman quarterback running a complicated o- option offense. Where, like I said, you know, one error can turn the tide of a game. Right. So it sounds. I mean, uh-huh. I guess recapping what you're saying is is they might be 
possibly a little more efficient in the past game, but potentially could really suffer setbacks in, in their RPO. Well, I, I think they could have a, a more efficient uh, uh, passer. Sure. But like I said, I wasn't wild about how they deployed their wide receivers. You know, first of all, they only had four wideouts catch balls at all. Like, And they had the line share of them go to uh, two guys, Darius Slayton and uh, uh, um, uh, Ryan Davis. It, it, both of those guys are departing. I had some problems with the way they, they played, but we don't need to belabor those. And who they're bringing back is not a lot. Uh, you know, They bring back Seth Williams, who's a freshman last year, had a pretty good season. I expect him to do well beyond that. My God, there's it's well, let's see if I can run him down. It's Anthony Schwartz, who's a sweep man. He's he's a converted track star, um, fastest man on the planet. It, you know, when his sweeps hit, you're never going to catch him. But sure. he's not a football player. You know, you have to get him totally wide open in order for him to make the catch. Um, uh, Sal Canella, who's a tight end, uh, who they, you know, bizarrely underutilize. Uh, Shedrick Jackson, who's a blocker. Eli Stove, who was injured for most of the year. Same with, um, uh, what's his name, Will Will Hughes, uh, uh, no, Will Hastings, sorry, um, and a bunch of, you know, freshmen, for their, their four stars, but they never, you know, taken a snap before. I mean, like, as I said, I've been doing all these Pac-12 previews. I've, I, outside of Arizona, who lost all their wide receivers, there isn't a Pac-12 team that has this little, you know, coming back in terms of wide receiver talent. Um, wow. And on top of that, I don't think they use their, the, the distribution of their wide receivers very well. So they may have a better quarterback, but I don't know who the hell they throw it to. <laughs> Sounds like Oregon last year. Yeah. Yes. I actually think the situation reminds me quite a bit of Oregon last year. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, and then here you look at Oregon and it's, you know, obviously the loss of, of schooler is important, no doubt yep. in terms of leadership and experience, but um, they might be, for all intents and purposes, a little better overall um, than Auburn, which is crazy to think about, right. considering. Last yeah, time. that is a it's a bonkers situation. I mean, we will have to wait and see. You know, right. obviously they they will change up uh, who they're going to be playing, and they can bring in some new talent. And of course, every Oregon fan has their fingers crossed. Their you know freshman four star wide receiver is going to make a big difference. So you can't say that Auburn uh, you know isn't doing the same thing. Of course, um, but yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Brendan Schooler, an unfortunate situation, but, you know, it's not like he's in a hospital bed, right? Like, he was in the weight room. He's on the sidelines. He's cheering and providing leadership and so forth, and I'm I'm glad for that. Yeah. Yeah, like, and he has the opportunity to come back and play at some point this year, so it's not like yeah. his whole season is done. Oh, intriguing possibility that he might take a red shirt. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I obviously you could. Um, I, I think if he's probably on that six-week timeline, I doubt that they do. You know, if it, mm-hmm. if it gets to eight weeks or longer, maybe they look at that a little harder. But I I think I'd be surprised overall if they did. But, you know, who knows? I mean, what they sh- what they should have done is stuck him back at safety and had him played next to Javon Holland. <laughs> He'd have been all conference. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yeah, but what do I know? I'm not the coach. So, um, But, no, great stuff, Hith. Uh, I, I love that we were able to bring you on and talk a little Auburn. I know that you are still working on some of your statistical analysis. So, uh, we got a few weeks left before this football game hits, so maybe we can get you back on when you have that in hand and, and maybe week of the game, possibly. I'd love to. The uh, the week of the game, I'll be publishing two articles on Addicted to Quack, uh, one in which I uh, go through the personnel, another which I present film study clips. Uh, I did that for Michigan State last year, and uh, it was a big hit, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Perfect. Well, that sounds like a perfect week for us to bring you back on. Great. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. That was fun.
it's a good podcast, you know. I mean, a little little different perspective with Coach Brown, and then obviously we were able to get into, uh, you know, into some. I don't want to say X's and O's, but able to get into some football talk with Hithliday, right? And uh, you know, I like that he brings it back in, and we were able to talk about Auburn a little bit. I was really surprised to hear some of, you know, th- to hear some of his opinions or his takes on, you know, where they're weakest at, you know, where Oregon has an advantage, um, you know. <laughs> This game, you know, this game 1,000% to me, and this will just be my only thought on the game for right now, this game 1,000% comes down to whether Oregon can play on the road or not and just how ready number 10 is. Yes. If number yes. 10 is hitting like he can all game long, it's freaking over. Well, we saw this last year, and and right now, we, we just spent, you know, 15 minutes talking about this earlier the desire to compare Eugene to Seattle right now, yeah. to look at what Cristobal's building in Oregon and compare it to Peterson at Washington. Same game last year, same week, opening week of the year, and the only reason Washington loses that game is Jake Browning just just stunk in yeah. the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. Completely stunk. Right. And realistically – I wasn't able to watch that whole game, but I, I watched most of the first half and a little bit of the second half. Auburn like pushed them around and had their way with them, right? And just didn't capitalize. You know, like Washington did a good enough job forcing them to kick field goals on occasion and keeping themselves in the game somehow. But you're watching Auburn run up and down the field, you know, doing whatever they wanted against Washington, and somehow. You know, Washington stayed in the game. I don't think Washington should have been in that game at all. To me, that was a matter of, of schematics. I think Chris mm-hmm. Peterson played a much better, smarter game than Gus Malzahn did in that game. I think Gus Malzahn had the horses. You know, it, it was it reminded me of, of, of 10 years ago when Oregon would play USC. And it'd be competitive and be like, or even when Oregon State beat USC 10 years ago. And you're like, how in the heck did this happen? Right. You know, USC has all the horses, all the five stars, all the, and somehow this game is close. Or you know what I mean? That's what that game reminded me of. I I just think, again, you know, Oregon struggle has struggled on the road the last two years, and I know Justin Herbert has all the NFL potential, and he does first round potential. Consistency has been his biggest knock. He has moments of absolute brilliance, absolute, and then he has moments where you're like, hmm. What were you doing there, Justin? Right. You know, and and that's fine. I'm not picking on him. Um, but that's got to change. If Yeah, if he irons that out, and even if he just plays a slightly above average game, and if Oregon doesn't have an issue playing on the road, it's a freaking blowout, and we're all going, what the hell happened at halftime? Right. But if if neither of those things happen, which is a big if, we got a ball game. Right. Uh, the way I look at it, you either have a blowout Oregon win, you have a, a close Oregon win, or you have a close lost Auburn yeah and it all comes down to fourth quarter what can number 10 do like you said is he going to be nervous is he going to be looking in the stands and seeing all the scouts in the press box and you know all the all the ladies in the stands asking for a selfie after the game or is is he going to be thinking about I got to drive 80 yards to the end zone yeah you know and I think one of the things I'll circle back to and it may not affect Herbert quite as much as some of the other players but the culture I mean, the, the culture is changing at Oregon. And the more that changes, the more it will correct itself on the field because you will have players, and coaches can't be out on the field, obviously. So when you have co- uh, players out on the field that are correcting one another and bringing each other up and saying, 
get your shit together. We got to win this football game. That's a culture thing. And that's something that's different than Oregon's really had probably for three, four, maybe even five years. Um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, 2012 and I know Marcus was, was, was more of a silent leader the years he was here at Oregon, but he led by example. Uh, but right now I think you have, you know, I don't think Herbert will be the guy, but you have an offensive line group that will be vocal and make sure that everybody's where they're, you know, doing what they should be doing. Right. You've got Troy Dye over there and Jordan Scott and the defensive line guys, you know, and, and Thomas Graham and Lenore, you know, all those guys coming back have leadership, have experience and they're, you know, they're going to be correcting the young guys or the new guys or whatever the case might be. I think that's a culture thing. Just like you said, I agree with you 100%, Matt. The, the game can go three or four ways, but one of the ways I don't see it going is an Auburn blowout win. I just don't see that. I, I could see it the other three ways easily. But So I guess that gives Oregon a chance. Hopefully we're right about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to say a month from now that, ooh, 40 to nothing. We didn't see that coming. I keep going back and I keep going back and forth that. on the game. I do. I keep I, like I made my July prediction that Oregon would win. They'd pull away in the second half. I made my July prediction that Oregon would win. And then I got to think about like, man, you know, Auburn though, they got, they got dudes. I mean, they're a good team. I mean, you know, SEC. Yeah. SEC for a reason, you know, even uh, uh, a seven, eight win SEC team is a really good football team at the end of the day. Um, you know, I just, and then I go back and then I, you know, today, Earlier on the on the site, QB eleven posts. I mean, like, I had no idea he posts like basically. And I'm summing it up. We're gonna kick Auburn's ass. Just watch. And it's like, what is he doing? Like, he, right. that's not his style. That, right. You know what I mean? And he just no, just watch. We're going to kick Auburn's ass. I'm like, whoa, okay. okay. So I don't. Yeah, I don't. That's why they play the game, right? Right. It's fun to talk about. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's talk about this next week, man. We we still got. You, I mean, you you broke it down. We got eight weeks till yeah. Husky Eight Week. Yeah, we don't even but, talk about them. But it feels like tomorrow we're going to play Auburn. Right. I so. mean, it's there. Yeah, football's back. Everybody's excited. I'm excited. There's lots more to cover. It makes my job easier rather than okay, what what kind of content can I come up with? What today controversy to can I create? Yeah, I need I need somebody to talk about something. You guys have short attention spans. No, uh, glad we were able to get able to get back with our podcast. I know you know we missed a couple weeks, but we had. Two guests going out, two guests coming back in. So it feels like we really didn't miss anything, right? Right. That's well. I missed Mario. Yeah. Like my my heart yearns. Yeah. We gotta yeah, yeah. every week now. We yeah. Gotta. We gotta bring it. We have to have <laughs> Coach Graves and Mario Crisball in every podcast. No. No, but thank you to Coach Brown. That was a, a great little segment. Obviously, of course, thank you to Hithliday for coming on. We appreciate all our guests. Um, love the diversity that we're able to bring and yeah. all the different talking points that come up along the way and. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's a wrap, huh? Yeah, man. Let's let's get some food, kick back, and we'll do this again next week. I can do this now.